I invite you to turn with me this morning once again in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. We have been walking through this ancient book of wisdom. If you're a visitor here this morning, welcome. If you haven't been here in a while, welcome back. We are in chapter 3 of the book of Ecclesiastes. Last week, only making it through half of chapter 3. And so you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 beginning at verse 16. Beginning at verse 16. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, follow along in the insert. Solomon has been asking questions. He's been asking deep, difficult questions about the meaning of life. And as he asks the questions in his own search for meaning, we ask the questions as we receive God's Word to us this morning, thousands of years later. And these are good questions for us to be asking because these are questions that humanity has been asking since the beginning of time and questions that humanity continues to ask even today. Questions like, what is the purpose of all of this? Is there really any gain to our lives, to our work, to the things that we invest our time in? Is there anything really new under the sun? How far can wisdom and intellect, and I would add a word that was foreign or that was at least not used by Solomon, technology. How far can our technology take us? And is there any use, really, in our pleasure? See, all these questions are questions that Solomon has posed to himself, he has posed to us, and through the asking of these questions and giving his answer to them, Solomon has been instructing us on what life is like under the sun. Under the sun, that phrase that he keeps repeating, meaning a life without God, without grace. But we're here this morning because we are people of grace. And we recognize that there is more to experience than just life under the sun. We're here this morning because grace has changed everything for us. And so once again, this morning, grace is that perspective we need as we come to this book. More questions need to be asked. More questions will be asked. The same kinds of questions will be asked from slightly different angles as we continue in our study of this book. But let's listen this morning to what Solomon has for us and what God has for us in his word this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter six, chapter 3 Verse 16, reading down through verse 6 of chapter 4. Listen as I read. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. 
For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beasts for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. And then I saw all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice, For all. Does that sound familiar, guys? Kids? It's from our Pledge of Allegiance. Pledge of Allegiance in this nation has gone through various versions since it was written way back in 1892, but the last three words of our pledge have remained constant throughout all the years. Justice for all. The fact is, we care about justice. We all care about justice. It is something that is written on the image and on our image bearing hearts. And yet, it's an undeniable fact that we live in a world that is broken. In a world that despite our love for justice and our desire to see justice done, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, a world that is broken. Solomon is here in this passage trying to figure out how to deal with this problem. How to deal with the lack of justice that he sees in our world. See, as we move into this section of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, last week it's, you know, Ecclesiastes is a tricky book to try to figure out how much to take, how big of a bite to take in terms of walking through it and teaching through it and preaching through it. It has so many different types of writing in it. Last week we had a poem 
It was very psalm-like. This week we have some proverbs thrown there at the end, which we'll get to in a moment. But really the content of this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon sounds much like the Old Testament prophets. I mean, that's what he sounds like. Amos, in Amos chapter 4, verse 1, says against those in Samaria, hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor and, and who crush the needy. And then Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 10, spoke to the people of God and he says, woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice to rob the poor of my people and of their right. You see, that was the, that was the message of so much of the Old Testament prophets was the injustice in the world and the injustice in the lives of God's people that weren't reflecting the God whom they served and the God whom they loved. And Solomon, as he speaks, as he asks these questions, we've talked about a lot of words. Vapor. Limits. Pleasures. And today, the word is justice. Justice. What do I do with justice, or the lack of justice, the lack of justice that I see in the world. Solomon doesn't have an office like the prophets had, and he's not writing Ecclesiastes as an indictment against God's people. He's writing it as a search for meaning of on his own and for our benefit. So his purpose is not to indict God's people or to indict us concerning injustice. It's to ask, what's the point? What's the point? I want to try to make sense of this passage that we just read, and I want to do it as we meditate on three truths and kind of hang our hats there and work our way through the passage and through the teaching of God's Word using these three truths. And the first one is this. Under the sun, there will always be injustice. Under the sun, there will always be injustice. This is the simple and plain observation of Solomon here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In our country, since... The first one in 1989, there have been 321 DNA exonerations. And if you don't know what a DNA exoneration is, it's the process of a person being proved innocent through DNA evidence that wasn't available when they were convicted, and in most cases, jailed. This came to mind this week as I was reading Ecclesiastes chapter 3 because I saw a story about one of these recent DNA exonerations. And they're just heartbreaking. One of the most famous DNA exonerations was a guy named James Bain of Florida. And he was exonerated in 2009 after serving 35 years in prison for a crime that he did not commit. It's not just that tragedy in and of itself, but it's the fact that 70% of people exonerated are people of color. 
And 75% of exonerations are from supposed eyewitnesses who misidentified the accused. Bottom line, I suspect that many of these exonerations, maybe most of these exonerations, were black men who were victims of a racist South and a racist society. Talk about injustice. I don't need to spend a lot of time, I suspect, making this point, the same point that Solomon makes. The point that we live in a world of injustice. That we live in an imperfect, broken place. The same kind of world that Solomon himself lived in. We live in a world of ruthless regimes, of tyrannical dictators and crooked judges, a world in which judgments are often clouded by greed and other motives, and wickedness is at times rewarded. And it's not just out there. I know for many of you, it's hit you close to home. It touches our lives as well. Abusive husbands, heavy-handed law enforcement, the lack of Protection of one's right, and and you could fill in the blank of ways that you have been treated unjustly, unfairly. I read one pastor this week who commented that we begin our lives as young children, and parents, you know this is true, one of the favorite things our kids say is, that's not fair. And then we grow up under the sun, And we eventually arrive, many of us, in this position as adults, not crying, that's not fair, but just matter-of-factly saying, sorry, life's not fair. And that's all we have. You just got to deal with it. I want you to see, as Solomon makes this point, I want you to see the three observations that he makes to show the reality of injustice in his world, and therefore in our world. You can look at your Bibles with me as we point these out, as I point these out. Verse 16 of chapter 3, the first verse we read. Where there should be a defense of justice, there is wickedness. Where there should be truth, there is wickedness. You see, it's not... Solomon is saying, it's not just that people are crazy in this world. It's that the very institutions designed to defend and to protect justice, namely the courts of law and the temple, the place of worship, that even both of those institutions have bowed to wickedness. That's how bad it is. Somehow that was true in his day. And we see hints of it in our own day. As we hear about judges making decisions, and we scratch our head. I think in my realm of work, remember a couple years back, someone sent me an article about an Episcopal church deciding that it would be a good idea for the Episcopal priest to serve the Lord's Supper in a clown suit. 
as a clown. That was for real. And we cry out with Solomon, in the place where there should be righteousness, there's wickedness. That's his first observation. Secondly, in verse 1 of chapter 4, he grieves at the oppression that he sees. So here it's not injustice as much as it is oppression. And there seems simply to be two types of people. Those who are oppressed and those who do the oppressing. Of course, we think in our world, we think of names like Hussein and Kim Jong-un, and we think of Assad and the Syrian refugees that we see about in the news. We think of the unborn. We say, it's no different. We live in a world where there is oppression. Where those who are oppressed don't have any power. And those who oppress seem to have all. That's his second observation. And thirdly, his last observation about the reality of injustice in our world is in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 4. Look at it there. That's kind of the real tricky part of this passage where he works into some proverb type sayings. And here, Solomon is observing the power of envy, which is so often at the root of all the injustice that we see in the world. We have a problem with envy, and indeed the Proverbs themselves, Proverbs 14.30 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. And then Solomon gives this proverb. This proverb, this verse 6, let's look at that one first. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Forget about the first half of that proverb, just think about the second half. Two hands full of toil. The point is, Solomon's saying, is that we've, we've got our hands full, right? When I offer my kids jelly beans, they don't go like this. They say, yeah, give it, give it all to me. And Solomon is saying, we have two hands outstretched full of our labor, stressed, overwhelmed, trying to keep up with the Joneses at times because, frankly, bigger is always better, right? And we've got to, we've got to gain more because my neighbor has it. Envy leads to injustice. And then he gives this second picture in verse 5, this very odd proverb, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. His point simply is that you fold your hands, you're not going to do anything. Rather than hands outstretched trying to grab, you're going to fold your hands, you're just going to sit there and do nothing. And laziness is going to eat you alive. So, whether you're a workaholic or whether you're lazy, Solomon says, neither of these things, or rather both of these things, feed the envy and feed the injustice of our world. Proverbs 6, 9-11, through 11, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a robber. 
Well, where do these observations about life and injustice and oppression and laziness and being a workaholic, where do all these things lead Solomon? Well, in a statement of frustration and cynicism in verse 2 of chapter 4, he states, it'd be better if you just weren't born. Just avoid all of this evil. Avoid this whole mess. It's a stark declaration. Under the sun, injustice runs rampant. You see, Solomon, by making these observations about our world, by making this point about injustice, he's saying for the one trapped in this perspective, for the one trapped under the sun in a world without God, all that can be done about what you see, about what he's observed, and what he's just declared to us, all that can be done is a constant, inconsistent, and ultimately unprofitable attempt to curb injustice as best we can. To keep the greed and the envy and the evil of the human heart at bay. That's all we can do. But this, this chapter is not a chapter of despair alone, but this is another one of those beautiful chapters where Solomon gives us glimpses of hope and perspective. And Solomon says, despite his momentary despair, he says that while we still attack injustice, we recognize that there's much more. There's much more than we can see. Solomon pulls back the veil a bit here in this passage, and he reminds us of the reason and the result for injustice. You see, we don't have to just say, life's not fair, just deal with it. That's not our position. It's the position of one under the sun, but that's not our position. Our position is the promises of God. And the hope of God, and that leads us to the second truth, which is this. God will judge, and God is at work. Yes, there's no doubt that under the sun, we will always live in a place of injustice. But, God will judge, and God is at work. Solomon reminds us of these truths. It's the same thing that the psalmists cried out. It was hope, it was the hope of David in Psalm 37 where he says, fret not yourselves because of evildoers, for they will fade like the grass. Commit yourself to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will act. Asaph said a very similar thing in Psalm 73, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And I thought, how do I understand this? Until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. You see, God will judge. That end, the end of injustice is judgment. God will deal with it. God will make all things right. That is a certainty and that is our hope. And I think at times we're uncomfortable longing for the day of reckoning. We're uncomfortable longing for judgment. But we ought not be. We want God's name to be vindicated. We want wickedness to be wiped. 
Because that's not who we are and that's not who we were made to be. God will judge. But also, we have to remember, even if we don't understand that there is a reason, that God is at work. He is always at work, even in injustice. And he says this explicitly, Solomon does, in verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are beasts. In other words, God is allowing our frailty and our brokenness to be exposed that we might recognize that we are creatures, that we are limited, that we are finite, that we are mortals, that left to ourselves, we cannot solve life's biggest problems, especially our own hearts. And he says, just like the animals around us, we have the same temporary breath, we have the same inevitable death, and we have the same return to the dust of the ground. Psalm 49.20, man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts of the field that perish. And so the question is, will we see ourselves as we really are? As we've said before, as we've studied this book, death is the great equalizer, and as much as we in our culture glorify it and at times belittle it, so many of us are scared of it because we know that we can't escape of it. We can't escape it. And even in Romans chapter 3, that passage that we read, God, part of God's work is not just to let us see who we are and our frailty that we might be driven to Him, but it's also Because he's patient. And he's delaying that judgment. Peter says the same thing. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So Solomon is reminding us that we have to, as humans, we have to recognize our frailty. We have to recognize our limits. We have to recognize our lack of understanding in order to really attain life. If you think about the South, any of you have been to the South, one of the things that's striking about a lot of the Southern churches is the proximity of the cemetery to the church. You know, in some churches, old historic churches in the south, and in other places of the country, but particularly in that part in the east, sometimes you'll have to actually walk through the cemetery to get to the front door of the church. We think, why was that done? So morbid. No. It's because when you go to the house of God, you are reminded of your frailty. You're reminded of your standing. You're reminded of your place. Well, verse 21 is a verse that I know causes some consternation. Verse 21 of chapter 3 where 
Solomon seems to be doubting the destiny of the human soul. And we don't know exactly what's going on here. Maybe Solomon was in a moment of of doubt and unbelief, wrestling with, hey, how do we really know that resurrection is a reality for those who are Yahweh's? Or maybe he's just making an observation from appearance. When you stand at a graveside, been to a lot of funerals, you don't see anything happening. You don't see a spirit going up. You don't see a spirit going down. And that's the reality of life under the sun, Solomon says. But our hope is not in what we don't or do see. It's in what has been revealed to us. And that is that God will make it right. God will judge. And that God is at work. Well, one final truth for us and we'll end here. This is our response. So what do we do with this knowledge? Solomon has reminded us of the injustice of our world. He's reminded us that God will judge, that injustice will have an end, that present injustice is part of His work in some mysterious way. So what is our response? That's the last truth. Our response is simply to rest in the Gospel and rejoice in our work. Rest in the Gospel and rejoice in our work. Solomon asked this prophetic question of verse 22. No doubt did not know what he was asking, but he says, who can bring him to see what will be after him? And we say there is one. There is only one who can bring us to see what is after us. And it's the one who's come back. It's Jesus. 2 Timothy 1, 8-10 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord who saved us not because of works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus, which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. You see, through the Gospel, we see what Solomon could not see. Through the only one who is worthy, the only one qualified, we see not just what a peek behind the veil, but the veil's been ripped. We see it fully. And so as you go from this place, I want you to go with four takeaways. And let me just, these are all under this last point of resting in the gospel and rejoicing in our work. But four takeaways and some scripture to, to back these things up. I think this is what God wants us to do with this passage. Number one, in the face of an unjust world, entrust yourself to the Father. In the face of an unjust world, entrust yourself to the Father. This is what Solomon does when he speaks to his own heart in verse 17. And this is what Jesus Himself did in 1 Peter 2. He committed no sin. He did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to Him who judges justly. There are injustices in our lives on a global scale, on a personal level. Injustices that we are powerless to overcome, but the Gospel gives us hope. 
So entrust yourself to the Father. It's that old hymn we sing, O Worship the King, says, Frail children of dust and feeble as frail, in thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. That's the first takeaway. Secondly, in this whole subject, reflect his heart for the oppressed. And Solomon doesn't go here explicitly, but we can go here as we bring all of Scripture to bear on this passage and on this subject of injustice. See, entrusting ourselves to the Father and to the mystery of His will and His work doesn't mean we don't do anything. There are injustices in our world that we can change and that we must strive to change. So if we take Solomon's observations and we take them a step further, they result in action. I mean, this was the heart of Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, what does he do? He goes into the temple and he overturns the money changers and those selling in the temple courts. It's like one of these vivid pictures of Jesus being angry, righteously angry. And we say, why? Why were you doing that? Because they were making a mockery of his father's house and they were taking advantage of the foreigner and the poor. And he says, enough. Matthew 9.36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. And this must be our stance as the church. Yes, we see injustice. Yes, we entrust it to the Father. Yes, we have hope beyond knowing that God will judge in the future, but we don't just say, He'll deal with it. No, we deal with it as an expression of His heart. And so we fight for the innocent. We fight for the unborn. We sacrifice our own comfort for those who are marginalized. It's what we do. Well, thirdly, the third takeaway under this point is we live and we work with contentment and joy. Going back to that proverb in verse 6. Verse 6, Ecclesiastes Chapter 4, verse 6, better is a handful of quietness. What's a, what's a handful of quietness? What's hands who are content? Not two hands greedy, but one hand, quiet, content. To go about its work, to rejoice in what it has before them. And Solomon says, this is our part in some way, to rest in the Gospel, to rejoice in contentment and to rejoice in our work. And then finally, the last takeaway, long and pray for His return. Long and pray for His return. Solomon couldn't see what would be accomplished and what would be promised in Jesus, but thankfully we do. And so we have verses like Revelation 6.10, they cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before You will judge and avenge our blood upon those who dwell on the earth? And I challenged you before, I challenge you now. Can we really long for this? Should we really long for this? I think we should. 
Injustice is here. It's part of our reality. But justice is coming. And so we cry, come, Lord Jesus, come. And bring an end to it all. Wonderful truths for us to think about this morning from God's Word. May God give us the grace to live them out. Let's pray. Great and mighty God, we thank You for Your Word again this morning. We thank You for how it speaks to our world. How it even speaks to our own hearts and the propensity of our hearts. Oh Father, I pray that You would give us Your strength, that You would give us Your grace to in the midst of injustice to entrust ourselves to You. To recognize the hope that we have in the certainty of how this story will end. In the certainty of Your orchestration here and now. And in the joy of resting in that work and reflecting in that work as You give us opportunity, as You make us able. Oh Father, plant these truths deep in our heart. Hearts we pray. By the power of Your Spirit, And for Jesus' sake, amen.